It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Locked On Redskins podcast. I'm your host, as always, Zach Hicks. You can find my work on Breaking Football and the Breaking the Draft podcast with my co-host, Jonathan Valencia. Now, today, we are joined by a very special guest, a very patient guest, too, because the last couple days, my Wi-Fi has really not worked very well, but luckily, Ben has been very flexible and been uh, willing to come back on here. So, we got Ben Solak of Bleeding Green Nation, Locked On Eagles, and NDT Scouting, and also the author of Contextualized Quarterbacking. So, busy man over here, Ben. Uh, how's it going, man? Oh, I'm doing very well, Zach. Thanks for having me on, man. No worries. I, uh, Eagles win the Super Bowl. I don't mind waiting anymore, man. My life's pretty good. Well, yeah. I mean, I know on Locked On Eagles, the big thing. You're seven years without a bad day. I don't think that's ever going to – I don't think you're ever going to have a bad day now, right? I mean, you got to see an Eagles Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. That, that's absolutely true. It'll be uh... – a May will be eight years, and uh, I don't imagine coming off this high within the next few months. Yeah, so we should be good until then. Yeah, we're, we're going to get that seven-year streak to like 70 years, and it's going to keep going and keep going and keep going. But let's let's go into the topic that you know we brought you on here today. Now, I know Redskins fans, we don't want to hear an Eagles fan talk about their Super Bowl experience, but we need to find the good in every situation, no matter how bad it may be for us. And the Eagles went from being a dumpster fire basically, you know, Chip Kelly's chew toy, and they won the Super Bowl against the mighty Patriots, and I think there's something to be learned there. So let's just start off, though, Ben. Uh, I got to hear, man, what was your instant reaction when, you know, the, the clock hit zero and the Eagles were Super Bowl champions? It's relief. It was absolutely just, you know, a massive sigh of relief. When you, uh, you know, Redskins fans will know this whenever you guys have conversations with the Eagle fans, that by the time you get to the end of the, uh, of the conversation, somebody inevitably just goes, oh, yeah, well, how many rings do you have? You know, and Eagle fans hate hearing that. Like, that's all we've ever heard. And so to get that monkey off the back, first one is the toughest one, and win that Super Bowl, it's just it's a huge moment of, like, oh, we're free from the curse. We're free from having, you know, the same storyline, regardless of what we're talking about, forever. You know, one is done, and now we have, we have to look forward with, with, you know, a young quarterback in place, a young head coach in place, and a young GM in place, and, and, and feel very good about the future. So... That initial reaction is definitely just this big sigh of relief. Yeah, I bet, man. And I mean, I, I just dream about the moment when it happens to the Redskins, and you guys already have, have it happen to you. So, I mean, like, it's great, man. It's great. Uh, I feel really happy for you guys. You know, you kissed uh, my some of my good friends growing up, too. I, I, I mean, I, I wish it was the Redskins. Obviously, I don't want it to be the Eagles, but I feel really happy that it happened to you guys because, again, winning a Super Bowl as a fan, I bet that's the greatest feeling in the whole world there. But let's let's jump to... A question here that I know a lot of Eagles fans, you know, they want to talk about here. The savior of your franchise, uh, Carson Wentz, goes down with the ACL injury. And you go back to the golden boy of a couple years ago, Nick Foles. And he will always be remembered now as the savior of the Eagles. The guy who won them their Super Bowl. Just talk about Nick Foles, man, and what he means to this franchise now. Yeah, I, 
I said on the you know on the Super Bowl recap podcast, guys, Mike and I locked on Eagles have been talking about the fact that the Eagles are going to trade Nick Foles this offseason for months now. You know, since since week ten, week eleven, we're talking about this sort of stuff. Nick Foles could go to the the Giants, and I would still root for him like fourteen out of sixteen games of the year. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like he. He'll never have to buy anything on the East Coast of Pennsylvania again. Just it won't happen. You know what I mean? Like as long as he's East of Penn State, it's done. The Nick Foles and, and and what's great about Foles is that it's not even like he came up and, and was like you know, he's not very Philly, right? He's not very like obnoxious or or arrogant or like in your face or like brash. He's an incredibly humble dude. You know, soft spoken, sincere, candid. Which that's that's Philly. Philly's candid. Yeah. But you know, he's not he's not that uh kind of that that type that personality. But Philadelphia is still so attracted to him and so behind him, despite the fact that he's like you know just a lot more of a, of a mellow sort of a dude. I don't know. I have the world of respect for the person that Nick Foles is. Uh, even going through the process before the Super Bowl, the way that he spoke about his brush with re- retirement and his fear that he didn't want to be in the NFL anymore. You know, unashamed, like, you know, not worried about what that means. You know, so often we expect our pro athletes to be, you know, athletic loving machines who simply say, you know, this is my life. My my world exists to entertain you with my physical prowess. And, and Nick Foles was very, you know, unashamedly saying that, that that wasn't him. You know, he's more of a person than that. And he still ended up making this choice to come back to football because he remembered the positive feelings of Philadelphia. He's so authentic, right? I really appreciate that. And then you get post-Super Bowl. And people are asking him about how it feels to be here at this moment of success after he's incurred so much failure. And he hasn't changed. You know, he's still giving the exact same message about what it meant for him to go through that struggle, what it meant for him to to have that doubt. The fact that he won the Super Bowl really didn't change it for him. It was still valuable. It was still formative to his life. You know, he's just he, – he, what a wonderful man. What a wonderful, wonderful just man. And, 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 and I, I love him. I appreciate everything he did for the city. He's a wonderful guy. I very much expect Philadelphia to test the trade market for him, though obviously trading away the savior is a bit of a tricky situation. But he'll always be loved here, you know, without question. And, and I have the world of respect for that, man. Yeah, I mean, even even me as a Redskins fan, as an outsider here, man, I, I can't hate the guy. I mean, how can anyone dislike Nick Foles? I mean, yeah. he's just this nice down-to-earth like dorky dude who I mean had a blast win the Super Bowl and he was out there slinging it man against against the best quarterback of all time I mean there's there's just infinite respect for the man and I I saw you know a lot, it was going around Twitter and it's going around social media and everything was his uh his quote I think about failure and stuff like that how it doesn't define you and it was just beautiful man it's just something to live you live your life by right there and I mean Nick Foles just deserves infinite respect and I I will never dislike the guy and I really wish it was any other uniform he was putting on doing all that stuff because, you know, the Eagles, I, I just can't stand him. But Nick right. Foles, Nick Foles and, you know, also Carson Wentz, all this can be said about Carson Wentz too. I, I, I just have the infinite respect for those guys. And Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's transition a little bit here. Let's let's start talking about the beginning of all this. So Chip Kelly comes in, he has a little bit of success, and he gets full power. And when he gets full power, he does something that Eagles fans all remember and they all probably hate. He just starts 
gutting everything that he does not like. You know, LaShawn McCoy out for Kiko Alonso. He gets rid of uh, what Deshaun Jackson just, I think they outright cut Deshaun Jackson, I believe. And, you know, just, just getting rid of these players that are just fan favorites and everything. I mean, how do you go from, I, I guess my question would be like the next step after that. Right after Chip Kelly's gone, you, you bring in Doug Peterson, a guy who was just an offense coordinator for the guy that you fired before Chip Kelly, Andy Reid, and you kind of bring him in, and what's the expectation with Doug Peterson coming in? So, yeah, when, when Peterson was hired, I was, I remember, so the, 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 the kind of the mass reaction was was a little bit of, of weary, wariness. There was very much a, a message that, you know, we're returning to Andy Reid. You know, this is just Laurie trying to grab at, you know, what he lost with Andy when Andy moved on to the Chiefs. And, you know, certainly there was also the narrative that Philadelphia originally wanted Ben McAdoo to come in and be their head coach, and they lost out on him to the Giants. I think the one thing that we all missed looking back at it was the fact that, you know, Lurie and Andy Reid still had a good relationship, right? They still were people who regularly worked together. Andy brought Doug Peterson from, you know, the high school ranks. Andy was the reason Peterson got to coaching, number one. He encouraged him to do so. And then he brought him on to Philadelphia from the high school ranks. Andy Reid was exceptionally high on Doug Peterson. There's a reason Philadelphia was the only team to interview Doug Peterson in that hiring season, that 2016 season, because, you know, only Laurie had that that access to Andy Reid where Reid was, was telling Laurie, listen, Doug Peterson is going to be a good head coach. And they brought him in and Peterson did enough to come in. Now, certainly there wasn't so much the expectation around Peterson because we didn't necessarily know what to expect from him as it was the expectation from Howie Roseman uh, returning to power, the general manager for the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, he's, his title is the executive vice president. That's what his title is. But he's, uh, in all effects, the general manager. He had lost power over personnel uh, to Chip Kelly in the end of Chip Kelly's tenure there. And he had kind of been you know, put into a dark corner of, of the NovaCare complex and just kind of hit away. And when Howie comes back, Howie came back with, with the same characteristic aggressiveness, with the same characteristic penchant for trades, all of the, the, the very economic, shrewd sort of stuff he had done. But he also came back clearly much more oriented on making it a team front office where he had good personnel guys in his ear. I think Howie had been very fearful of that because Howie's not by nature a football guy, a personnel guy. He had been fearful of that. He had been threatened by that before Kelly. And because of that, Kelly was able to get his sympathizers, people who were fans of Kelly, into the personnel department, and that kind of facilitated the, the hostile takeover, if you will. Roseman came back with a much more mature approach to saying, listen, I need good personnel guys around me to make it a team effort. He was a lot less threatened and worried about his job security, I think, under Peterson. The lines were more firmly drawn, which was a wonderful, wonderful thing. That's what it enables you to, to come together, Lori Peterson and Roseman, and say, we need to go up and get ourselves a quarterback of a future. We have Sam Bradford here in the building. We have him. We have you know Chase Daniel. We brought him in from Kansas City. He's kind of like a fringe starter sort of a guy. But we're going to go and get ourselves one of these young quarterbacks between Carson Wentz and Jared Goff, and they decided on Wentz, and then how he makes that happen. That You have that division and that understanding of roles between your big three there, head coach, GM, and owner, and that's what enables you to make the, the, the big-time moves, the risky but huge franchise-altering moves that Philadelphia made in that offseason, primarily being the move to go get Carson Wentz. Yeah, I mean, that was the big move, and I think that, that kind of transitions to my next question here, and this is where I think Skins fans need to start listening. We're going to talk about the plan going forward and how Philadelphia turned this around. So first part of the plan was find their franchise quarterback, but also make sure that they – 
don't go to the gutter, I guess, with him, essentially. Like, you know, they brought in uh, Bradford. They brought, or, yeah, they brought in Bradford. They brought in Chase Daniels. And they brought in Wentz. I mean, that was their plan. So let, let's just go about their plan right there with the quarterback position. I mean, just starting off, was their plan the whole time to keep Bradford, to keep Daniels? What do you think their, their plan was from the get-go there? Yeah, the plan was keep Bradford in the building. The plan was to run the offense through Bradford and, and make sure Carson Wentz, a guy coming out of an FCS school in North Dakota State, a guy who didn't have much starting experience at the college level, only really two years, not even two full years as a starter, right? He was such a late bloomer. Uh, give him the time to sit and make sure that he knew what he was doing before he was put out there. That was always the plan. Two things changed that plan. One, Carson comes into the, the Philadelphia locker room and knows what he's doing pretty quickly, right? Like he, by all you know, reports, impressed, right? He was up and down saying rookie's yeah. going to be, but he knew what he was doing as far as managing the offense. So he felt comfortable with that. Remember, he's the third string, allegedly, behind Chase Daniel. He wasn't even going to be the backup if Bradford were to go down during the season, but he's really impressing. And then the Vikings call about Sam Bradford, right? And now when you're a guy like Howie Roseman, and this you know harkens now to where he's at with Nick Foles, when you're like Howie Roseman, you have a commodity like a potential starting quarterback, and you can potentially get what they got from the Vikings, which ended up being a first and a fourth for Sam Bradford. There's no way you're saying no to that, yeah. right? You, yeah. you, a team is more than one player. A team is more than a quarterback. We've certainly learned that, especially you know one of the best examples being the fact that Philadelphia was able to go win a championship after their starting quarterback went down, you know? Mm-hmm. A team is more than just a quarterback, and so when you have a quarterback you can move to recoup capital and make your team better. You know, Philadelphia always likes to mention the fact that that first and fourth round pick that they got from Bradford turned into Derek Barnett, a rookie defensive end, and Jay Ajayi. That was the fourth one he traded with Miami to go get Jay Ajayi. Both of them are key pieces across the season, right? And so a team is more than just that one quarterback. When you have a guy like Bradford, you can move him, you move him. Right? And so Philadelphia accelerated the timeline in part because Wentz was playing well, but also in big part because they had a deal on the table for Minnesota that was good for their franchise. Right, And that's the thing. You can plan out your future, but you can't be afraid to take left turns when they, when they approach, when they're demanded by the topography of the ever-changing NFL. That's the reality. And that's why you know, Howie Roseman, I've always been a guy that's been in his camp. He, he's, you know, he catches some flack every year. You know, people debate whether or not uh, you know, Joe Douglas, the, who's the big personnel guy there in Philadelphia, how much of a hand he's had in decisions, so on and so forth. But I've always been a Howie guy because Howie is unfearful of reevaluating his decisions, cutting the cord on bad ones, and recouping capital, making choices that, that help his franchise move forward. The greatest lament that most teams have of their front offices, of their coaching staffs, that you hear repeated th- repeatedly throughout the league. Think about Cincinnati, right? Think about like, Cleveland, places like this. They're not willing to try different things. And when they try different things, they don't go all the way through with them, right? Yeah. The thing about the Philadelphia front office coaching staff under Peterson and Roseman, you see the aggressiveness day-to-day on the play calling and so on and so forth. But the thing that really makes them special is they're aggressive in all things that they do. And, they, and very much it's a mentality of we're going to do what we think is best. And that way, if it goes wrong, we know who's responsible. It was on us. The decisions that we made, we'll be able to correct them and move forward. They are a decisive, active front office and coaching staff. They make choices. They make gambles. They, they do things. They don't just sit and kind of fester in what worked 10 years ago. And that aggressiveness is what led them two years for Doug Peterson to the Super Bowl. Simple as that. Yeah, I, I actually completely agree with everything you just said there. And, and I think the funny thing is you're mentioning these other teams, but you didn't mention Washington. I mean, Washington is one of those teams that's just stuck in the past. I mean, I mean when, Washington is all over the place, man. Yeah, like, y'all yeah. are inexplicable. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like what you said, though. Like, when they try something new, they backtrack on it right away. I mean, they, they brought in Scott McLuhan, a known genius in the industry. I mean, he has a great reputation, you know, albeit the, the drinking problem, obviously. But he has a great, great, you know, reputation in the industry, and it's just kick him out the door within two years just because you don't like that that he's taking power away from Bruce Allen. And we're going right back to Bruce Allen again. It's kind of stuff like that. And then, you know, Kirk Cousins, it's just the stubbornness not to know when to move on or to go forward. It's just stay stagnant for right. two or three years. And I think right. you said it perfectly. And, it, it caught, and, you know, in the end, it cost us a third rounder and our most promising defender. And that that's kind of the big thing I can draw from all that there. And another thing that you said that I really want to go back on too is you said that a team is more than just their quarterback. And the Eagles were definitely that this year. I mean, they, again, like you said, they won the Super Bowl with their backup quarterback. So let's kind of talk. Their, their first year with Carson Wentz, their roster was good, but it wasn't great. I mean, how did they build up the roster going in from that first year to the second year to make it from a very good, young, talented roster to a great one that was able to win the Super Bowl without him? Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. A lot of player acquisition, obviously. And, and, and Philadelphia was unfearful of bringing in cheap, aged free agents. And, and the mentality behind that is very interesting. I think it's key. It's something that has to be highlighted and should be implemented more across the league. So they bring in a guy like LeGarrette Blunt, right, who most teams don't want because he only fits a specific role. Or whatever, right? He only has a certain niche. They bring him out on a pretty low-key, you know, deal. Chris Long, defensive end, same sort of a situation. Torrey Smith, wide receiver, same sort of a situation. Patrick Robinson, cornerback, same sort of a situation. Corey Graham, safety, same sort of a situation, right? Mm-hmm. Beyond these guys, they still go out and get some big names. You know, the, the Ronald Darby trade, moving on from Jordan Matthews. That's a tough thing to do. Jordan Matthews has been so consistent for you, right? But you really need a corner, so you got to be able to make that sacrifice. And they, of course, move a third to do it as well, a third-round pick. But Darby gives you a strength at the corner position that has, you know, plagued Philadelphia's roster for a decade. They go out and they get a guy like Timmy Jernigan from Baltimore. Yeah, he's only got one year left on his deal. That just makes him cheaper. And Philadelphia knows that if Jernigan plays to their expectation, they will have the cap space to extend him. So why not get him a year before everybody else, kick the tires and see what you can do with him, right? So yes, some big names. But I want to highlight the smaller names for a reason. Most teams are fearful of bringing in these aged veterans who have a niche in the league, who've already established their role on offenses or defense in the league, even though they're low price, because they're fearful they won't fit into their system. Philadelphia brought in good free agents, veteran free agents who know what they're doing, and adjusted the system to employ them in their best roles, right? They weren't married to the way things were done offensively and defensively on the chalkboard, they were married to their personnel. Where can we go get good players, and how can we get them on the field to make them the most successful, right? Chris Long saw probably the fewest snaps of the four Philadelphia defensive line, uh, ends as far as Brandon Graham, Vinnie Curry, and Derek Barnett. However, I would argue he was easily the second most effective and dangerous pass-rushing defensive end for Philadelphia. Why? Because Philadelphia almost exclusively put him on the field when they know they could just let him tee off and beat a right tackle. Right? This isn't hard. 
oh, Chris Long, you know, we're worried that he can't, you know, play consistently against the run in the NFL. Okay, then don't ask him to do it. Get him on the field exclusively when he can do that, right? He played the run just fine, to be honest. We were very impressed with how Chris Long played, but it speaks to what Philadelphia did with him. LeGarrette Blunt, right, was a guy who came in, rarely got more than 15 carries a game, but he was used as a closer in the third and the fourth quarter consistently over the second half of the season. Philadelphia rarely ran him out of shotgun, almost exclusively ran him from under center. The numbers supported that. Teams knew it. They could see it happening, but you can't stop it because LeGarrette Blunt is 250 freaking pounds, Zach, right? You know, we're not – this isn't like mastery. This isn't chess. We took players that other teams didn't want because they didn't feel like they could fit into a scheme. They didn't feel like they were versatile enough to use them, and we simply played them in their best role. 46 players are active on game day, right, Zach? Mm -hmm. In the Super Bowl, the Eagles had snaps from 45 players. The one player they didn't get a snap from was Nate Sudfeld, the backup quarterback, right? This, this this team isn't about their scheme and then putting their personnel in it. This team is about its personnel. And Peterson, you know, DiFilippo, Reich, all the offensive minds there, and then Jim Schwartz, you know, uh, Chris Wilson, uh, Corey Unlin, the defensive minds on the other side, Ken Flajoli, I should mention as well, worked the scheme to get the players on the field in the best situations for them. It's working with the tools that you have. That's why they were successful. That's how they were able to make such a huge jump roster-wise from year one to year two. Yeah, and you couldn't have said that better. I mean, honestly, that's the thing that I think a lot of teams are forgetting when it comes to player acquisition. You're not acquiring players. You're not acquiring what this guy can and can't do. Tell me what he can do and how can I maximize that? And that's why the Patriots have been so successful for so long. You know, they, they find a player where it's like, okay, this guy is great as a third down pass rusher, but he can't do anything on first and second down. It's like, okay, don't tell me what he can't do. I will put him on third down. And that's kind of what the Eagles did this past year. You know, Torrey Smith, he is not a great over the middle. He's not a great all-around receiver. Okay, but can he run deep? Can he stretch a defense? Can he open up the field for my Nelson Aguilars and, and give, you know, my running game more, more oomph? Can he give all this to me just by running deep down the field? Yes, he can. Perfect. Let's bring him in. Can Jay Ajayi bring me some more speed along with the combination of power like halfway through the season and wear teams down. It's not just all LeGarrette Blunt wearing teams down. Yes, he can. Perfect. That's all I need. I don't care if his knees are shot. I don't care if he's going to be out of the league in three or four years like the rumors say. It's what he can do. And I think that's a huge thing that right. that helped the Eagles you know, win a Super Bowl this year. It's, it's, it's not just getting me the best player, the biggest name. It's getting the guys who do what you need them to do. You know, If, if Chris Long gives you 10 snaps a game – and they're all pass rushing snaps, and nine of them are effective, then you, you have a good player there. You didn't waste money, you know? And I think yeah. that's that's definitely a thing. I'm glad that you were so, you know, emphatic about it because it's it's really a, a big thing that teams just forget. And I, I really do applaud the Eagles for doing that because, I, I, again, I'm one of those reactionary fans where when I saw the moves they were making, I was like, okay, they're bringing in some talent, but I want to see how this fits together. But, again, they, if you play these guys in their correct role, if, you, if you're not asking LeGarrette Blunt to be your third down back or your every down back, if you're just asking him to, to wear defense down late in a game, he's an excellent running back. If you're asking Chris Long, again, to just rush the passer every now and then, not play the run all the time, he's a great player on your team. And that's what the Eagles did this past year, and it's a big reason why they won. Now, the, the next question I want to jump into here before we're, we're getting kind of close on time, but the next question I want to jump on here is – the head coach, I mean, Peter, Doug Peterson, we, we've all talked about him. He's excellent. But I think a big thing that kind of is weird in the NFL and kind of hurts is we get these these head coaches that are just so arrogant to their system, you know? You know, like Jay Gruden, for instance, will run the same offense with Colt McCoy, Kirk Cousins, Alex Smith, yada, 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 is your, is your quarterback. Did Doug Peterson kind of change the playbook or change the kind of plays he was calling when he went from 
a guy who, you know, off script, Carson Wentz made most of his plays. You know, when he gets out of the pocket, when he's when he's mobile, he's making those plays. But that's not Nick Foles. Did did the playbook kind of change for Nick Foles, especially in the playoffs? Right, so this is what I always say because, you know, there's this huge storyline in the media that I just can't wrap my head around that says, oh, like, you know, props to, to, uh, to Doug Peterson. When Nick Foles went in, he went back to Chip Kelly's 2013 playbook and pulled out all the plays Nick Foles was good at. Yo, he was using those plays with Carson Wentz like week one, yeah. right? There was no more innovation on a basis when Foles was in than when Carson Wentz was in. It's not that the offense changed when Nick Foles became the quarterback. It's that the offense was changing every week, yeah. right? And, 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 and again, speaking to reacting to your situation, you know, as building the scheme for players, Philadelphia affected their scheme and changed the way they, they, they ran their offense based off of the defenses they were facing and the respective strengths and weaknesses of those teams. Let's not forget that Philadelphia, in the first half of the season, was beating teams by, like, three and yeah. seven. Mm-hmm. And by the time we were getting into the second half of the season, they were beating teams by 30 and 35. The more tape there was on your defense, the better Philadelphia got on offense. Not because their team was gelling any better. I mean, it was. That's part of it. But because we now knew more things about how to attack your defense. Right? We were not interested in running the best offense. We were interested in running the offense that beat your defense this week, and then we were going to start the whole process again next week when we were facing a new defense. Right? Uh, you know, you, you go, uh, Ben Fennell is an excellent follow on Twitter, and he was highlighting the fact that Philadelphia ran plays out of quads bunch for the first time all season against the Patriots. Now, if you're curious, teams ran quads bunch against the Patriots twice all season, once in week one against Kansas City, which is a game that the Patriots lost, and the second time against Jacksonville, which is a game that the Patriots almost and should have lost. Jacksonville and Kansas City both ran those formations, screens out of those looks, very effectively. Philadelphia didn't do it all season, pulled it out against the Patriots. Right? This offense is not about what Peterson wants to do. It's about Peterson wanting to beat you, and so he'll do whatever it takes. Right? And that's why like, when we talk about the difference between Peterson and Kelly as coaches, one of my favorite things to say is that Kelly said, innovation will help us win games. Peterson said, let's win games. Yeah. And that will necessitate innovation. If you want to win games, that, that, then you're necessitating innovation. You're going to have to change. But it's not mistaking the, le- the lever for the mass. It's not res- uh, you know, uh, confusing the goal for the process. The, the goal is to win games. The process is innovating. Chip Kelly was a guy who just wanted to innovate. He just wanted to do things that were different, constantly be you know, new, new system, faster, new scheme. Once there was nothing there, once teams caught up to that, there was no second step for Kelly. Right? There was nothing else beyond that. Peterson is a guy that because he wanted to win games, he was constantly evolving, constantly innovating on a consistent basis. That's what made things different. So that's why you know, up against a specific defense, Peterson crafted an offense to beat you week after week. Yeah, and that, that's something that kind of scares me as a Redskins fan because you know that that's something that's not going to go away. You know, he, that, that's something that's going to stick because you can never figure him out completely. You can watch tape on, on the season before. You can watch week one's tape versus week three's tape or, or, uh, versus week like four's tape or whatever. It's going to be a different offense. It's going to be a different defense. You can't prepare for that. All you can do is just go out there and, and try to see what worked on them in the past weeks, but you know, odds are Peterson and company probably already changed by then. And I think that's something that really scares, you know, Redskins fans, NFC East fans, and just, you know, fans of the game in general, because I think this is the direction that, that successful teams need to take. And, you know, I, I hate to say, it, I don't want to say it's a dynasty or something like that, but again, you, it's going to be hard to beat this Philadelphia team. And, and I just want to get your, your take one last time before we uh, finish off here. 
this Eagles team is going to get better, isn't it? They're getting a lot of players back next year. I mean, talk about some of the players they're getting back next year. Yeah, so it's interesting. You have to worry, you know, talking about this ability of the Philadelphia offense to be amorphous, to constantly change. It requires an insane amount of film work, and Philadelphia is going to lose two of the three biggest guys behind that, it looks like, in John DeFilippo, quarterback's yeah. coach, and then Frank Reich, offensive coordinator. DeFilippo is already with the Vikings, and we expect Frank Reich, you know, is a strong candidate for the Indianapolis head coaching job. So, you know, Peterson's going to be responsible for getting guys in the building who are as much of tape heads, as much of, you know, candle the candle grinders as he is so that you know that, that that they do have to make sure they can persist in this system you know if they can get the right guys in place but it is true personnel is going to get better uh, the fact that philadelphia lost you know starting middle linebacker jordan hicks franchise left tackle jason peters obviously you got carson wentz darren sproles didn't see the field at all this season neither did Danelle pumphrey pumphrey fourth round pick a running back who's kind of fits that sproles mold as well you know philadelphia's going to be able to do a lot of different things with those two players which is which is a good deal of fun and then of course you have second round pick Sidney jones cornerback out of uh, out of Washington, who, who he'll be coming back. He saw a little bit of playing time this season after an Achilles injury, but he was never really at full strength, you know, and he was never expected to really start and affect the game. So he'll likely open up as the starting corner opposite of Ronald Darby next season. Yeah, Philadelphia is getting a lot of key personnel back. Right now, when you look at this team, you, you, you see a little bit of a hole at linebacker because Nigel Bradham is a free agent. We don't know if he's going or staying. There's Sam linebacker. If he stays, then it's more of a depth hole. If he goes, then Philadelphia does need a starter to plug in there. Uh, and then beyond that, you do have to wonder about the offensive tackle position. Jason Peters, obviously coming off his second Achilles injury, 35 years old. We know, you know from his agent that he certainly wants to play again next year. He obviously loves the situation here in Philadelphia, but... That's something that you got to be aware of, especially when you consider the fact that Lane Johnson, the right tackle, has a two-year suspension anytime he gets, you know, uh, you know, hit with the, uh, the PED violation. Right? Because he's two suspensions in already. And so, offensive tackle depth is another place. But besides that, maybe you go out another pass catcher at wide receiver. If you're losing Torrey Smith, you might see a cut there. Yeah, there aren't many holes left on this Philadelphia roster, and they're going to be back in full health. You know, at week one, assuming that Carson's recovery goes all well after his ACL tear. Yeah, that, the team's getting a lot of playmakers back. It's very true. Yeah, they are, and they're definitely something to be uh, scared of, honestly. I mean, across the NFL, I mean, the, the Eagles are going to be a powerhouse, and it's going to be interesting to see how, how Peterson reacts without Reich, potentially, or DeFilippo, which has already happened. It's already confirmed. So it's going to be interesting to see how he adjusts with that, but, I mean, if, if history tells us anything about this guy, I think he will. Uh, and, again, guys, the, the big thing to learn from the Eagles here and learn from all this is – the Redskins just can't be afraid to be different here. And I know Jay Gruden's kind of the same old, same old. And we'll see. We'll just see what, what they do this year. This is the big season for them. You know, they, they don't have their old quarterback that they've been in a fight with for years. They have their new guy. They have their hand-picked guy. They have their draft picks. They have free agency with a lot of cap space. And it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Are they going to go for the big names like they have in the past, guys who just don't fit anything? And just because they're big names, are they going to go for the role players? Are they going to go for the guys who they can scheme with, the guys that they can improve with? You know, find a pass rusher who can be a sub sub rusher guy. Find find your corner who you know maybe he's just great in coverage. Okay, cool. We'll just put him on third downs. Then we'll just put him on pass plays. I mean, I think that would be the key for the Redskins this all season to see what kind of step we're taking in the right direction. If we're going to take a step towards the Eagles or another step back towards the Browns. But either way, we will see. And then again, if, if this doesn't work out, then we'll see how Snyder goes in the future. You know, are we going to keep Bruce Allen and keep retreading him? Are we going to keep going with Jay Gruden? Are we going to try to find the next? innovator at this profession because peterson looks like he's the he is the next innovator at this job here but ben thanks for coming on man i know uh you got a little uh 
you know, heated, a little happy, a little giddy about some of these things you were saying here. So, again, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, any final words before we call the show? No, nah, I mean, good luck to the Redskins moving forward, you know, with Alex Smith and everything. Y'all are in a tricky bit of a spot. But, obviously, football is more fun when teams are good, and the Redskins are, are not, not great right now. And so, uh, you know, good <laughs> luck to you guys working on the franchise. I hope everything goes well. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. And, uh, you know, again, congratulations on the Super Bowl win. Uh, it couldn't happen to a better group of guys. You know, you kissed and, and, you know, a couple of my good friends growing up, too. So I am really happy for all you guys, even though it is the Eagles winning. But, guys, that's all we have for today's show. Tomorrow we are going to be joined, We're going to be jumping on again with a Redskins mailbag question. I do have some Wi-Fi back, so I will be able to upload that for you guys. But, yeah, Redskins mailbag question. You guys sent me in a lot of questions uh, last night, so I will be getting to them all. But, guys, uh, that's all I have for today. So I uh, hope you all have a good night. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 